Chapter 55 End of the Line My plan needed work. Oh, it did. I shouldn't try to deny it. I was looking for the Shane. I wanted to stop the killing. Only way I could think to do that was to cut the Greywald poetry hunters off from their source of income. No, seriously. I was going to debase their resource heap, give them something to worry about that was more important than killing the Shane. I was going to take away the wild poetry, and I figured that the Shane's help would go a long way toward accomplishing that. Now it looked like the only way to contact the Shane was to strangle the poetry. That's what the librarian in white trash told me anyway. Not in so many words. Actually, now that I think of it, the librarian had been trying to stop me from interfering with wild poetry. It would probably cut off the flow of verse to the library or something, which didn't make sense because I hadn't said anything about my little plan when the librarian told me not to do it. So he goaded me into seeking the end of poetry. I didn't really want to be the death of poetry. I just wanted to send the poetry hunters a message. I wanted to weaken the Greywald poetry hunters. Stop the killing. The librarian had talked me into it. Maybe he was tired of the killing, too. Maybe he believed my plan would work, that I just needed a little encouragement, reverse psychology. It's not like the conversation made a whole lot of sense. I was starting to notice that. People don't talk. Not around here, anyway. They spin little stories and lies. They try to outthink each other, prove how witty they are, live on cleverness. So I really didn't know if I'd actually accomplished anything by talking to the librarian. Except I'd learned how to summon the shame. Which was why I was standing in the heart of the forest where the wild poetry are born. It had taken me some time to find. Lots of walking, hitchhiking, wandering forgotten streets and back roads. But I'd found it. I'd been there once before with Morgan Greywald as we'd hunted the wild poetry. Finding them where they're born. Growing from out the very earth and air. Twisting in the wind. Dangling from the trees like so many monarch butterflies. I knew I could stop them. Squash them. Strangle them. Yield them all names, never to return. That would draw the poetry hunter's attention. Even the great and mighty Hale would have to take notice. I let the thought go. The end of violence. It was a great idea. Felt it drift into the trees, seep among the branches. I felt the poems flutter, unsettled in their slumber. Feeling the edge of nightmare creep into the dark at my touch. I had yielded the void. I had spread fire. Feeling it rush from between my fingertips. I had escaped from the fair folk's prison, defied and defiled the common market. Compared to all that, speaking to poems that didn't exist was easy. Not entirely true. The poetry did exist. If not, how could they cause such trouble? It's almost impossible to describe the wild poetry. They exist outside of words and beyond language. I'll try to explain. Have you ever gone to the kitchen and forgotten why you were there? Had no idea what had been so important just a moment ago. Spent the following hour pulling at your hair trying to remember. Wild poetry is like that. The idea that got away. The words that filled entire notebooks with scribbling because no combination of syllables actually seemed to make sense. 
written words that were then erased, recopied, erased, pressed so hard against the page that the pencil broke. You have an idea, a thought, a dream, unable to find the words. How do you describe the scent of sunshine? Impossible to remember a word. Another word for rhapsody. That's all you need. But what is it? That word rhymes with biscotti. The wild poetry is like that. Imagine what I was trying to accomplish. The words that had driven the poet mad. Impossible to find, define, express in any way imaginable. And I was trying to stop it, put an end to the madness. Poems without words, verse lacking only voice. In short, the wild poetry. I was trying to subdue what couldn't be defined. I must have been crazy, completely out of my mind. I realized I had no clue how to go about my task. So I felt nothing. The poems rustled on the vine, but they didn't flutter. They didn't wake, shake themselves free, swirl through the sky on the breath of the wind, leap into my pocket so that none might partake of them. No. I simply left them, wondering what to do next. My goal remained the same. Stop the slaughter. I wanted the gray-walled poetry hunters to stop. Leave the shame alone. The world was big enough for the both of them, but I couldn't harness the wild poetry, make it bow to my will, use it as a bargaining chip with Brant Greywold. I didn't know what to do, so I wandered the wood as if I didn't have a purpose. I found a clearing, and found a great heart watching me, looking up from my toes, from my study, the grass beneath my feet, all thoughts of lost and forgotten poetry banished from my mind. Before me was a great heart, beautiful as the sunrise, graceful as the wind, the color of autumn wheat. You know the movie where all the deer stand still? Just for that one moment they nix the soundtrack. No music, no nothing. As the one buck walks peacefully through the shot, Fawn turns to his mother, asking who the majestic one is, told that one is the prince of the forest, and the music swells, and the scene carries on like that for a while, but that's not important. Just remember the moment, all is silence as it watches you, as you can't breathe. The heart is standing there, and the world is silence. No wind, no poetry wrestling in the brush. No, nothing. So if I've suddenly gone deaf, and I realize I've stumbled into a clearing, an open space in the forest where only two things live in the whole entire universe, me and the heart, he speaks to me. Well, I don't really know if he spoke. I mean, how does an animal speak? I saw no lips move, turn of breath, twitch of an ear, or anything. There was simply a voice in my head. I'm sure I imagined it. It doesn't matter. I'm convinced the heart asked me what I thought I was doing. I answered. There was no reason not to. I mean, I didn't really answer. I couldn't. Couldn't talk. I hadn't been given permission. And imaginary animals found while wandering through a forest where the wild poetry grows are not allowed to give me permission to speak. But I digress. I told the heart that I was looking for a spark of sunshine so that I might burn the wild poetry out of the forest. This was where the heart was supposed to ask me why but did nothing of the kind. That was enough to tick me off. The heart wasn't holding up his end of the conversation, definitely not following convention. I accused the heart of being hail in disguise. Well, I didn't really say hail. That would have been stupid, tipped my hand and all of that. I just accused the heart of being him, the one who runs the show, always goes about disguised here to stop me from messing with his lands and poetry. 
That got a laugh out of the heart. No, he wasn't Hale. He didn't actually say he wasn't Hale. We were still referring to him without a name and all that jazz. See, this place just wasn't important enough to draw his attention, which meant that I only had to deal with Hale's agent, his voice in these parts, the heart. I wondered what voice he had for me that I should leave well enough alone, stop bothering the wild poetry, give up on reforming the poetry hunters, and let us not forget a book that James Joyce never wrote. Hart did its strange little falsetto laugh again. Turns out it was rooting for me, not exactly cheerleading, more like just curious to see what I would do next. Nobody had tried to shut off the wild poetry at the source before. Hale was curious to see if I succeeded at money riding on it or something. Well, I didn't find anything amusing. It was clear to me that Hale runs a pretty low-class operation, letting the locals and hired help murder each other, promoting bloodlust and wanton destruction. These aren't good things, people. Sure, this was the land of misplaced hopes and forgotten dreams, but damn it all, they didn't have to be so overtly cruel. I was just about to tell the heart so when I realized that he wasn't there. Yeah. This left me vaguely unsettled, made me wander after my sanity. I mean, I couldn't prove that the heart had been there at all. Could have all been a figment of my subconscious attacking my conscious with a large axe. None of which helped my disposition. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do. My whole plan had been to reach or control the wild poetry or something. That had gone down in flames. I had accomplished nothing, touched nothing, reached nothing, been laughed at by an imaginary animal. Joy. I hadn't given up hope. I just wasn't sure what to do. The direct approach had accomplished nothing with wild poetry. They hadn't even noticed me, so simply walking up to them and ripping them off the vine wasn't the answer. There had to be a way to defuse them. I simply needed time to think about it. So I wandered the wood, thinking, wondering if anyone else had noticed my experiment with the wild poetry. I was trying to contact the Shane poetry hunters, after all. Maybe they noticed. That imaginary heart had noticed. Problem was... The gray-walled poetry hunters might have noticed, which they did. And I had completely forgotten they have cars. Really. We had spent so much time walking, I had forgotten completely about the cars. I figured I had a good couple of days before anyone found me. Wrong! I had barely reached the edge of the wood, standing against the road, more dirt and gravel than paved, watching the sun laze about the sky, when the first car screeched to a halt in front of me, followed by another, and another. Shit! I was like a deer caught in the headlights. Didn't move, didn't know what to do. Only watched as Brack Greywald flew out of his car. Moving so fast, I swear he didn't bother with the door. Climbed straight through the window. Tore around the car as if he expected it to explode. I swear he was out of breath. That he must have been beating on the steering wheel the whole way here as if he thought he could goad the car into going faster. He stopped before me. Breathing hard, eyes wide as a crazy person, stopped like he didn't know what to do, as if I had knocked up his daughter and he just couldn't decide if he wanted to make his daughter a widow. Shotgun wedding or just a shotgun? You decide.
This audio recording of The Fearful of Gideon and the Tale of the Donkey is copyright 2011 by Keith D. Jones. All rights reserved.